Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, and welcome back. And if you're a new listener, thanks for tuning in. I'm excited for you to hear today's interview. Now, if you're a faithful listener, you will probably recognize my guest, Quentin Hafner, from early on in season one, where he gave out some great parenting tips. But today, Quentin is back to give us some truth bombs on relationships. Quentin is a relationship therapist whose work has evolved along with his life, as many of ours does, and has written a book that I think is so important to read. It's called The Black Belt Husband, and I can't wait for you to hear how that all came together for him. Uh, It is for the guys out there, but as a woman, it provided insight into the male psyche that I thought was relevant enough to recommend to my partner. You know, you never can get enough knowledge when it comes to relationship dynamics, During our conversation, we cover how life changes with kids, what it means about you if you think all your exes are crazy, how you can heal your childhood injuries through your marriage, and so much more. Okay, I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording this for you. Let's get into it now. Hi, Quentin. Thanks for joining me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast again a few years later. Hi, Colleen. Good to be here. When we first met... You were still helping couples and men in particular, um, and you were the happy married father of one. And life has changed. You now have another boy in the house. You're the father of two. How has life changed since having two children? Well, I would say it's gotten exponentially harder. <laughs> it's kind of like one. Doesn't just no, double. One plus one equals three. Um, now being a, being a dad of two boys is, you know, it's super awesome. And I remember when I, when we were, when we were pregnant with our first and I, I knew we were going to have a son, it was like super overwhelming. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to like be a dad and a role model to another boy. And like, I don't really know how to do this. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it just turned out to be like a super amazing, like life changing experience to be the dad of two boys, because I feel like I'm learning about myself so much in the process too. It's been really awesome. Yeah. And I bet you've had to then make exponential adjustments in your marriage to accommodate keeping that marriage strong, huh? Yeah. It's really, you know, I think we talked about that the last time we did a podcast. It's really tough to, to to have a thriving marriage with young kids and anybody listening with young kids can attest to that. And there's all sorts of statistics that show that. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a challenging time, but it's super, I, I say having, being a parent, being married with young kids is, it's the hardest time in the world or in your life. And it's the best time. So it's this really crazy duality of incredible experience and challenge. 
Yeah, really nice way of putting it, right? Incredible experience and challenge. And so with that and that life experience that you have and, you know, your work as a therapist uh, up in Orange County, California, uh, you have over the last couple of years written this incredible book. I just absolutely, I fell in love with the title when I first heard it. I think I reached out right away and DM'd you and said, oh my God, I love that title. But I have, of course, since read the book and it's called Black Belt Husband. So can you talk about how, how that evolved and what that actually means? Where does it come from, Black Belt Husband? Uh, okay, so for, for fun, as like a hobby, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And since I've been involved in jujitsu, um, I kept kind of like running into all these little moments when I was training where I had all these little like life kind of metaphor, marriage metaphor moments. And I was like, man, like jujitsu is like so much like marriage and these aspects. And I see like these parallels and so that's just kind of like the brain. That's like the way my brain works being like a therapist. Um, you know, I just can't help but to connect dots that way. And so, you know, one day I just kind of like sat down and I kind of jotted down a really kind of rough outline of what I thought, um, if I was going to, if I was going to walk a husband through the marriage journey from white belt to black belt in kind of like the traditional martial arts kind of like structure, what would Mm -hmm. that kind of look like from start to finish? Like what would the progression look like? And so, um, yeah, that's just what happened. So over time I, I developed this outline, I kind of thought more about it and, um, it just fit really well. And I, I thought it was a really great metaphor for men to understand because I think men, men really love, um, like steps and progress. And so if I say, okay, this is what you need to do to be a white belt husband. And this is what, these are the tasks that you need to kind of be able to be competent in, in order to become a blue belt. Like men love that. They're like, okay, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel too, you know, confusing or ambiguous. Right. Right. They like instructions. Yes. They like, they want to read the manual. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a really, you know, that's a, that's part of why martial arts is actually successful too, because you get these, you get kind of this dangling carrot of like, oh, if you stick with it and you get to earn the next, you know, thing. And, you know, I guess in some ways, you know, we're kind of like, we're kind of just cavemen kind of primitive creatures that way. We're just like, okay, we'll, you know, we'll do it to get to the next thing. So, so that was kind of like my thinking behind the book. And then, and then just kind of like adding to that a little bit. Um, I just also felt like there wasn't a lot of marriage books in the world that were specifically written for men and to men. Right. Uh, most of the marriage books are written by women for women. So I wanted to write something that I felt like would appeal to the average kind of Joe kind of guy that would, would maybe necessarily never be inclined to read a marriage book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was like a big, that was a big part of my motivation. Right. And that's a really good uh, point is that um, even the books I think of on relationships are either right, like you said, by women, for women, they're also for couples. So Mm -hmm. to have a book that is specifically the manual on how to do it for men is Mm -hmm. brilliant. Mm. So you're welcome. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from, for that reason. I think a lot of people appreciated that I was just writing directly to men because there wasn't a lot of that out there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so now, Quentin, I am going to ask you um, a question that I got off of one of your posts on your Instagram. And uh, it is something that I think a lot of people, when they come to therapy, they go, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to talk about my past. But this statement is really... um, gets people thinking about what it actually means in their marriage. So what does it mean to you when you say that your marriage is a window to your childhood? Mm. So, um, oh my gosh, it's a really complicated thing, but it's not too complicated that we can't talk about it. So basically there's two things that come to my mind when I think about that. Um, The first thing is that our current intimate relationships with our partners will activate the pain that we experienced in early childhood. We can call that kind of like unresolved pain. So our mom and dad were our first love objects. I guess that they were, they were the first people in our lives that, gave us the blueprint for what love was supposed to look like, for what relationships were supposed to look like. And they set the paradigm in our minds for everything that we knew about love. And so for everything good that we learned from them, we we also had experiences and nobody's immune from this. We also had experiences that were painful. So Mm -hmm. we felt abandoned at times. We felt rejected at times. We felt shamed at times. So our first love objects are our mom and dad, and they gave us this blueprint for love. They told us what relationships should look like, should feel like, uh, what kind of good things we can expect, what kind of bad things we can expect. And then we grow up into adulthood and we get married and our partners, our adult attachment figures, our remote or our romantic attachment figures become like our second love objects in our lives. And what we do is as we, as we get attached to our spouses as adults, our spouses will trigger any and all unresolved experiences from when we were young. So when, whenever we're in a relationship as an adult and we're really struggling with something, we know we feel a certain way and the, and it feels really strongly and we, we keep kind of running into this problem. It's a really good, there's a really good chance and it's a really good indicator that we also experienced that same source of pain in our early childhood relationships mm-hmm. with our Ah, Right. So with all that being said, so when, when you argue with your spouse, then you feel familiar feelings. Um, right. The pain points are probably familiar. Right. Yeah. Right. And the way that we can kind of like, and I think sometimes it's hard for people to kind of, it's hard for people to kind of grasp that because when you're stuck in an argument with your partner, you just naturally assume that you feel the way you do because they did something. But often it's kind of like one of those scenarios where like the punishment doesn't match the crime. Like our feelings are disproportionately strong to whatever our partner did. 
and that's the indicator that it's probably something old and it's probably something from our past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love when people are able to get that. And so if somebody's listening out there, think about that, right? The, 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 what that pain feels like, uh, because it usually is something deeper. Right, right. And then, you know, just to kind of add to that, too, is that we tend to, this is where it gets so, <laughs> this is where it just gets so complicated. We tend to unconsciously attract people that reminded us of our moms and dads from early childhood. Yes. So on that note, I'm going to skip ahead to a question I have for you, uh, because that's reminding me of it. So, you know, as as a woman and, of course, as a therapist, I you know, one of my pet peeves is hearing when men describe their exes as crazy. And, you know, and so, um, you know, and as, as a woman who's out dating and stuff, whenever I hear a guy say, oh, my gosh, oh, she was crazy and she was crazy. I just for me, that's a red flag. I already know probably what the answer to this question is. But for the guy that's sitting at home or driving in his car listening to this podcast and he goes, yeah, all my exes are crazy. What would you mm -hmm. tell him about why he might be attracting what he's calling crazy? Yeah, you know, it's something that I learned in graduate school. And I remember learning it and I was like totally blown away by it. And we learned that we end up in relationships with people of the same level of emotional health that we are at. Mm. So it's kind of like one of these things where whatever my level of EQ or emotional intelligence is, I will always attract a partner with the same level of emotional intelligence. We don't end up in relationships with people with disproportionate levels of emotional intelligence. It just simply doesn't happen. So that can be a really bitter pill to swallow, especially if you think that all your exes are crazy because um, and I know this, I don't want this to sound bad or, 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 you know, shameful to anybody, but you know, we generally attract people that are in similar places as we are. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I have some single clients and, you know, they might be out dating and meeting people and, and so, um, you know, I'm working with this one, uh, a gal right now and, you know, she's going on dates and she's meeting people and she's meeting guys that are divorced. And I told her, I said, um, I said, you know, one of the first questions that you should ask that guy that's divorced is what was his contribution to the divorce? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if he says that it was her that caused the divorce that my client should get up from the table and just run right. because it's a really big problem. It's a really big red flag. You know, I'm divorced. I went through a divorce and I think that when I first went through a divorce, I was just like everybody else. I thought my ex-wife was crazy. I thought it was her fault. I thought, you know, if she, she, you know, she did this and did that, that, you know, we wouldn't be in that spot. And then through therapy, I, I came to realize that it was really, it's really a two way street, right. you know, and I had so much contribution to everything. And, um, I think the more, you know, the, 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 the first chapter of black belt husband is about self-awareness. So we're talking a little bit about self-awareness right now mm -hmm. where we have the insight where we can kind of look at ourselves and we can be, be honest with ourselves. And chapter two 
is about humility and having enough humility to say, you know, I don't do relationships perfect and I do have these things that I need to work on and there are these things that I do that maybe contribute to me not being successful in relationships. And so as much as the, the more self-awareness and humility we can have around that topic, the quicker we're going to find ourselves just in really great relationships. Yes. And that's funny because then, you know, as myself saying, you know, I've met guys, of course, over the years, and there may have been a time a long, 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 long time ago where when they would tell me about the, oh, she was so crazy and this happened, I might have had empathy for them because that's where I was at the time, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. now I said it's a red flag, right? Because now I've been through my divorce and all that stuff. And I say, well, that person doesn't get to be on my radar at this point if there's if they're insisting that it's all the one person because there's always two people in that relationship as you were saying right there's two people right. that are contributing to that relationship so funny for me sitting here just having that reflection I'm like right i probably was attracting those guys way back when and and went out with them where today i i wouldn't go out with them Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of like I, I, I think that um, divorce is an incredible gift if we can view it as a absolutely. gift. Absolutely. And it's such a great opportunity to look inward and look at ourselves and try to understand things, try to figure out where things di- went wrong. If we move through a divorce and our outcome is she was crazy, we totally lost one of life's precious opportunities to grow. And so... I think the more that we can look inward through that process, then we're going to, it's just going to be a lot of fruitful experiences for the rest of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Those are actually some of my favorite people to work with are the ones who are fresh out of uh, a marriage or a long-term relationship and just want to understand why and how it happened and how to present, prevent it from happening in the future. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are my people. But <laughs> Yeah, that's so, awesome. Those are great people. Yeah. So, um, Ah, there's something that you said that I read. Um, Someone asked you a question and said, what is the quickest way to a man's heart? And I actually loved your response. It was vulnerability, softness, sensuality, and adoration. Can you Mm. elaborate a bit on that? Um, (laughs) What you meant by that? Yeah. I mean, let me just ask you a question real quick. So as a woman, what did you, what was your like initial feeling when you heard me say that? It was, well, the feeling, um, probably like, oh, he gets what men need because they, mm-hmm. because it was a soft response. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, it, and it wasn't action oriented. It was, mm-hmm. it was emotions, mm-hmm. right? Ways to behave, okay. adoration, um, the vulnerability. So it was not here, be a good cook and do this and do that. And they'll love you. Yes. Right. Yes. It had nothing Wonderful. to do with okay. even like, you know, be faithful or anything. It was just, you know, these other things that said, this is how to really go deeper with a guy. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I love the way that you're saying that because what, what I think when I listen to you is it's like, it's all, it's these intangibles. Yes. It's this like qualitative, the way I kind of say it is like, it's a spirit of being it's a way of being it's kind of like how is your spirit how do you show up mm-hmm. what kind of spirit do you show up in the relationship as yes right of course right right because we have i mean both men and women can be resistance 
resistant to being vulnerable, right? That's something that we both work mm-hmm. with our people on so much. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think in particular, when women show up guarded, and they're always mm-hmm. kind of like testing the guy um, mm-hmm. or just won't give all of themselves because, you know, they've mm-hmm. been like hurt before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they end up going nowhere. And then they wonder why mm-hmm. the guy starts trailing away from them. And right. and they're so afraid the guy is going to hurt them that they in- inevitably hurt him by not allowing mm-hmm. him to get close. Yeah, it's such a this is this we could have a whole yeah. other conversation on this, Colleen. Right. I, I was actually just at lunch with another before we're talking at I was at lunch with a female uh, colleague, another female therapist, and we were talking a little bit about this and what we were talking about is how like use like encouraging women to be soft and adoring is almost offensive today. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, cause I, 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 you know, I post some of the stuff on the, on my Instagram and then I, I see kind of how people respond to it. And it's almost like sometimes people feel this, like, you know, why would you, why would you encourage a woman to be like that? You know, like that, that's, um, you know, that is the patriarchy that's old uh-huh. and, um, you know, we are in kind of this like more empowerment place and, but I think people are totally missing some really important understandings of relationship dynamics, you know, because what I think what people are, are, are really un- misunderstanding is that to be vulnerable and to be soft is actually the greatest position of strength. I mean, yes, it, it takes so much bravery for a woman and we could apply it to men too, mm-hmm. but since we're talking about that, for a woman to be vulnerable and to be non-defensive, non, non-reactionary, non-self-protective. So that is the ultimate empowerment. That is the ultimate embodiment of strength to show up in a relationship where you feel, um, where you can feel enough kind of presence of yourself to be, to be open and to have that spirit. So, you know, it's not it's not about disempowering anybody to be that way. In fact, it's just the opposite, you know, and I think that sometimes the Internet sends some really confusing messages to people about all this stuff. And I think it leaves people really misunderstood, like, well, what is the right way to be? And is it OK to be soft? And mm-hmm. is it is it OK to be to have an open heart or do I need to protect myself? So. Yeah, it's all really wonderful ideas. I mean, do you, do you kind of resonate with I that? I do. And it also makes me think about that whole mirroring that we attract what we give too. you know, yes. so we attract what yeah. we're ready for. We attract what we give in a relationship. If we give vulnerability, we get vulnerability. If we give hardness, we get hardness, you know, so um, yes. so it, it all starts to piece together and fit together. Right. Yeah, right. Right. You know, I work, you know, if I was just going to kind of like summarize most of the couples that I work with, I would say that um, this is like this is some pretty big generalizations. But um, men are kind of steeped in shame. And out of that shame, they shut down. And women carry a fear of abandonment or a fear of rejection. And out of that fearful place, they've become critical or criticizing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I encourage my clients, my female clients to be soft, 
I'm trying to get them out of that critical space. I'm trying to get them out of that critical space to a more vulnerable space where they can be expressive of their needs because men are, you know, we are, we are, we are people, we are a breed <laughs> that want to please. I mean, we are pleasers by, by, by our DNA. And we want nothing more than to be able to please our women. But sometimes women make it difficult for them to please them in that way. So there's this like, there's this little kind of like power struggle or they're kind of at odds with each other. So the more that women can show up in that vulnerable way, the more easy it's going to be for men to respond in that vulnerable way and to be able to please them in the ways that they ultimately want. So it's like a, it's like a giant creation of win-win scenario. Yes. And which as things start connecting, this is leading me into the next question even is about communication. So, you know, there's, um, I hear, very frequently about just give me the the man answer versus the woman answer, right? For certain things and meaning that women want to go and tell the whole story and they're emotional about things and stuff. And men want to just get the facts and be direct. So Mm -hmm. when we're in a partnership with somebody, uh, it can come across at like men can put their guard up and say, well, every time I say something direct and I want to communicate directly, I get emotions in response to that. Mm-hmm. Number one, do men, should men worry that that's a bad thing? And number two, if it, if it was something they should avoid, how could they still hold on to who they are and be direct um, and still weather the emotional reaction or, yeah. or how can they, how can they say something to avoid it? I suppose. <clears throat> Well, you know, we're really kind of like talking about some really important gender differences that, in my opinion, are really not appreciated enough. Mm. And, um, you know, this goes back to another conversation about why men traditionally don't go to therapy. It has a lot to do with kind of what we're talking about right now, because, um, you know, men men are more to the point um you know we we know factually that you know men uh, are less verbal than women um they're more uh they're, they're less outwardly demonstrative of their emotions they're more they're more cerebral less emotional they're more um <clears throat> they carry things kind of more internal or inwardly as opposed to outwardly and so i think that you know, we as a as a as a culture, and especially as a therapy community, I think that we have to do a better job of educating couples about these really important gender differences, so we can come to really appreciate each other, as opposed to trying to change each other. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what happens so much now is that, you know, if we don't if we don't fully grasp how we're really different as like different species then naturally we assume that the other person could do and should do what we do, but their, their, their wiring, their DNA, their brains are like totally different, Mm -hmm. you know? And so instead of like approaching the conversations from that being the starting place, often couples, the starting place in the conversation is why won't you do it more like me? 
and then we're off and running. Yes, and that is the trigger point, right? <laughs> and and um, you mentioned, right, men don't come to therapy. And of course, your book, Black Belt Husband, is geared towards men reading about how to be better husbands, partners, um, and in relationship better. Why, what do you, what do you find among your practice as to, number one, how men get into work with you or why they don't and maybe they show up later on? Yeah, I think that, um, that's such a great question. Well, I think right off the top of our, uh, right off the top, I think we have to appreciate and understand that. Um, you and I are in the business of talk therapy. That's what we yes. do. We talk with people through their struggles and um, that makes them feel better. Men, by and large, are not really interested in talking because it's just a really important gender difference. It's just not the way that they're kind of wired. So right off the bat, we are kind of selling a service to them that they're really not that interested in buying. And so right off, right off the bat, there's a little bit of a dilemma with uh, therapy and talk therapy. Mm -hmm. The other reason that men don't come to therapy that I've learned is that uh, they're afraid that by coming to therapy, they're going to get beat up. They're going to be kind of scolded. They're going to be told that they're not doing a good job. They're going to be uh, misunderstood. Because men, men understand kind of what happens in therapy and... Um, you know, they're not naive to the fact that therapy is a uh, more uh, feminine profession, I'll say, mm -hmm. that is going to be have that are, that are that is going to have more of a female bias. And so a lot of men have fears around, you know, uh, being shamed uh, when they come to therapy. And, you know, the other the, the other reason that men don't come to therapy is that men are um, men have a certain psychology where they prize themselves on figuring things out on their own. They love the fact that they can work through and solve their own problems and to ask for help is kind of an admission of failure and they really struggle with that. They struggle mm -hmm. with that a lot more than maybe your typical female struggles with that. So the, and there's like, there's other reasons too, but those are some really good reasons why men generally wait till the very last minute to come to therapy when it's more of like a Hail Mary pass. Mm -hmm. Now, I wish men didn't feel that way about therapy because I think a lot of heartache could be saved if they could see and experience therapy in a totally different paradigm. Um, but you know, that's just the way a lot of guys think about it. Yeah. And so when do you actually start, when do men actually end up coming to you? Well, I get kind of like, you know, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of guys that reach out to me and call me when maybe they recognize that their marriage is in a really bad spot. Mm. And, um, you know, they might call me when their wife has talked about a divorce or maybe even initiated a separation or something. And then all of a sudden, um, there is a, there's more of a sense of urgency, like, oh, wow, like maybe something is really wrong. So I do work with a lot of those guys in that kind of a situation where they might be trying to like recover or reclaim their marriage. Um, I also work with a lot of guys that are in the middle of an affair. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and the affair usually kind of awakens this sense of like, do I want to stay married? And um, they will kind of seek my support and my my advice on kind of that current life situation. Yeah. So I work with a lot of guys like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, and I so would love to go down a path of talking about affairs and saving relationships and can it happen, but that's not what we're doing uh, today. <laughs> okay, we'll save it for another time. Okay. Yeah. Um, because that's often, I mean, so many people want to know, oh, can it be saved? I mean, I think we we both probably come from the standpoint of, of, of course, it can be if people want it to be and are willing to go through the pain to heal it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is really hard work. Yes. Yes. And yeah. um, and scary. Um, mm-hmm. Thinking about men and, you know, and even men who go off and have affairs is often bred out of some kind of insecurity gets tapped into. So leaving behind the affair talk of it in general, you know, even the most confident men have some insecurities that get tapped into here and there. You know, when it comes down to it, are all men just worried that their woman is going to leave them for someone else? Mm -hmm. Is there like some kind of cosmic pain of men. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting way to, um, maybe say it. Um, cause it's funny. I'll tell you, like when I hear you say it, I generally feel that that's the great, that's the great insecurity amongst women. Mm, okay. Um, is that they, um, that we will be left by him. Yeah, that's I I feel like from a if I was going to break it up from a gender perspective, that feels more kind of female. I think the great insecurity amongst men is that they're not good enough. Mm. Okay. And yeah, I mean that that to me that is um I can, you know, if I had a, you know, a penny for every time a guy has said that to me in my practice, you know, this sense that I feel like I'm not good enough. And I feel like nothing I could ever do is going to please you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hear that quite frequently, too, um, that that pain point of not good enough. Mm-hmm. So when men when men stray from the marriage, it's often out of that source of pain that they end up, you know, meeting somebody to feel good enough, mm-hmm. to feel like they're worthy because they don't feel that otherwise. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, and just just on a side note, that particular question was given to me by a man. So okay. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Might have been his own yeah. insecurity. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, you know, and then in like looking at the pieces of a successful couple, you know, um, I practice what's called Gottman relationship counseling and one of their critical pieces is helping uh, couples understand the importance of noticing their partner and expressing what they notice or how they appreciate their partner. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that fits exactly into the theory that you practice from, but can you speak to the idea that often some of the work that that we're doing with couples is helping, in particular, the guys, and we're talking a lot about gender today on this, and it's interesting because sometimes people... Just on a side note, I think we're living in a world where we're inc- we're being encouraged so much to leave behind the de- the gender differences, and we just can't help it when we've got a man and a woman in a relationship in a room with us. We have to look at the gender differences. Um, 
But in particularly, a lot of the work that we're doing is helping the man um, learn to express feelings for his partner or tell her how he notices her. Can you talk about why we, besides the gender perspective of it, or maybe that's all of it, um, why that why that happens and what would you say to a guy listening to this to help him understand why it's so important for him to push past that uncomfortableness to be able to notice his partner through his words um, so much? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a really great question because it's it's kind of like the classic. Um, you know, well, I go to work every day and I'm not an alcoholic and I don't hit you and I don't understand why you don't feel loved by yes. me. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> you know? Doesn't she see what I'm doing for her? Doesn't she see? And, 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 the, and the, <laughs> the, the thing is, he's very sincere yes. in that appeal. Like he really, this is the way that he is showing her that he cares. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it there. I, it's like it, it. You almost can't look at this without looking at the gender differences because um, women don't. You know, it's it, it's like an, it's a subjective kind of feeling standpoint. Women are going to appreciate a man's efforts in that way, but they're not going to feel like she is the apple of his eye mm. and she wants to feel like she is the apple of his eye. She wants to feel like he thinks about her. He daydreams about her. She wants to feel like if she was to go away on a two week trip that he would really struggle without yes. her. That's the kind of the core insecurity amongst many women. And so the only way to, capture and satiate that insecurity is through language. It's through the use of words as tools to communicate and be able to express those feelings. But, you know, that's just not the way guys are hardwired. That doesn't make them bad. It's just not the way they're hardwired. And they haven't grown up with role models to teach them about women and to teach them about what women need. And so there's just a lot of confusion, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot of confusion. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of like, I'm, I, it's what's important for me in the work that I do is to really not pathologize people and not to try to, you know, position people as good or bad or evil villains in the story, just more like, I think people are good. I just think people are confused and people don't have information and they've never been taught. And once people have been taught, then all sorts of really wonderful things can happen. Yes. I I like that perspective. I actually get with that perspective quite a bit. Can I ask you a question? So I kind of think about this for myself. Like I, I grew up in a family and nobody ever sat me down at one point in my you know, maybe teenage years or early adulthood and said, Quentin, I want to teach you about females. Right. And did you, did you have somebody sit you down and say, Colleen, I want to teach you about men? No. And that is exactly 
what I wanted to, the point I was going to make is that one of the, one of the ways that I often relate with my clients is say, Hey, I'm not here because I just grew up as an expert in this. You know, I'm here because it takes a lot of work to learn how to have a good relationship. And, and I want to teach you because we, most of us do not grow up in these scenarios where we're getting taught. And in fact, my history is that I became the little wife because my parents had really, really toxic communication between each other. So I always heard way too much and was my dad's best friend and all that stuff. And, you know, of course, then you grow up and you have all sorts of mixed emotions and don't know how to have a healthy relationship with appropriate boundaries. So my own little self-disclosure is absolutely not. I did not. And (laughs) yes, and I didn't either. yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, everything that I know has come because of hard trials. Yes. You know, I've had to, I've had to learn the hard way and many failures and um, not that I, you know, not that I don't even, you know, fail every day, even today. I just think that, you know, I'm passionate about giving back to the world, yes. the things, the gifts that I've been given, the, the things that I've been taught by my mentors. And because it's been such a life-changing experience for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody should know this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, because it really is life-changing. Right. And how simple, you know, it's the use of one word or another can be so impactful. And we know that yes. so many other things that we do, you know, if you're doing a presentation in a corporate venue, you structure your words really carefully because you're going to use certain words there that you're not going to use in other settings that are more casual. It's the same thing in relationships. Yeah. It's tiny little tweaks to get the most efficient like impact from what you're saying and how you want to be in that relationship. Right. Right. It's so true. It's so true. The way I kind of say it sometimes is like, I, I feel like so many really great husbands and men out there are shooting at the wrong target. Mm. And my job is to show them the right target. And once they start hitting the right target, everything changes. Yes. And on that note, and then we're going to wrap up here because I've picked your brain enough. But I, when you were saying that, I'm like, yes, it's those guys that I think of the couples where they come in and they're so depleted emotionally because they both are working both on the relationship, but they're both working in opposite directions. The man is mm-hmm. working two jobs and trying to show that he's a big family supporting kind of guy. And the woman's like, I just need him to say I look pretty today. You know, I yeah. mean, it's so small, the little things that need to happen. And it's it it's mind boggling sometimes how how simple it can be, but of course it takes two people recognizing that it could be different and then finding the person that can help them learn the new skills that they need. So yes. on that note, Quentin, thanks so much for joining me again a couple of years later, another kid later on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. And for everybody listening, men or women, but I mean I gave the book to my boyfriend and you know, we're happy having a good relationship. And I just thought, hey, this would be great for you to read. Um, uh, Black Belt Husband. And if they just Google that, they'll find it. But I assume it's blackbelthusband.com is where they can find the book and on Amazon, of course. Yeah, exactly. Blackbelthusband.com. And uh, it's there. So Okay. Mm-hmm. And you can easily follow Quentin over on Instagram at Quentin Hafner. 
right? Is that? It's a Quentin underscore Hafner. Yeah. Okay, very good. It's really insightful. Um, it's a good introduction for guys to see what therapy might be like, right? Because it's not about getting them crying on the couch or turning them into something that they're not. It's about just yeah. <laughs> starting the awareness that life and their relationship could be different. Mm, that's really well said. Thanks, Colleen. You're welcome, Quentin. Well, it was great to have you on. See you again soon. Okay, thank you. I do hope you check out the Black Belt Husband book. There's a link to it on my Facebook and Instagram page, uh, along with the posting for this episode. And when you follow that link, in addition to finding Quentin's book on the Amazon page, that link will also take you to my Amazon storefront that also holds so many of my favorite wellness items that you can pick from. Anything that you buy using that link for 24 hours, if you go on Amazon then and use that link, a little bit of the price of of any item that you buy on Amazon using that link will go to support the cost of running the show. A tiny little portion of what you're buying goes to us so you don't have to spend an extra dime and we get a little bit of financial support. So if you like what we're producing and you love shopping on Amazon, go right to the link. It's amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen. Now, if you're not in the market for any Amazon shopping, but you still want to support us, well, of course we love that too. And one of the best ways and most efficient ways you can support us is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find yourself listening. You know, I'm also all over the socials and I love interacting with the listeners. So if you want to say hi to me between episodes or let me know what you think about this one or any of the ones that you've been listening to, you can find me at Dr. Colleen Mullen on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, there's also people out there listening that may want to work with me to help you personally conquer the chaos in your life. And for those people, please reach out to me through coachingthroughchaos.com. That's it for this episode of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, but I'd like to share with you about some of my other projects. For the ladies, I just launched the Embrace Your Inner Leader podcast. It features stories of unique success from women. I'm having so much fun doing that show and I love the people I'm getting to interact with to do it. I think you're going to love it. And it's a companion to my workbook, Stop Bitching, Just Lead, the 60-day plan for embracing your inner leader. Now, if you're a movie and psychology fan, I don't know if you know this, but I've also been the co-host of the Shrink to Shrink podcast for the last three years, where my co-host and I teach about life and love through one movie at a time every month. We'll watch a movie, we break it apart by scenes, and then we talk about all the psychological aspects about life and love, relationships, work, whatever dynamics are going on, and we utilize that movie to do that in the show. It's so much fun for us to record it, and we hope you love it too. You can find that on all the normal podcast platforms. It's Shrink to Shrink with the number two in between and no spaces. Shrink to Shrink podcast. Okay, so now that all the shameless plugging is done, I do hope that if you have some chaos in your life, you're finding some calm in that chaos. Until next time, take care. Take care.